Welcome to the Heart Soul Wisdom Podcast, a journey of self-discovery and transformation. Moira Sutton and her amazing guests share real-life stories, tools, and strategies to inspire and empower you to create and live your best life. Come along on the journey and finally blast through any fears, obstacles, and challenges that have held you back in the past so you can live your life with the joy, passion, and happiness that you desire. Now, here's your host, Create the Life You Love Empowerment Life Coach, Moira Sutton. Welcome to our second season, episode 24, Never Enough-itis and How to Thrive in the New World, with our special guest, best-selling author, Robert Althaus. Robert is the founder of The Whisper, a mindfulness organization that provides coaching, strategies, tools, and techniques to help private clients and businesses find their why, so they can become a force of good in the world. He was once an Ivy League-educated Fortune 100 corporate executive and later a successful real estate and private equity entrepreneur. Robert's life began as a fairy tale. We're going to dive into that with a successful career, amazing wife, tremendous wealth until it all fell apart. His relentless pursuit of more had ruined his life. In his book, Never Enoughitis, a story of success, emptiness, and overcoming myself, Robert shares his wild rise to success and his cataclysmic fall with all the painful details and mistakes of his personal journey. Today, he resides in Coral Cables, Florida. He's a father, artist, photographer, avid yogi, crossfitter, kite surfer, an active dive volunteer, and former board member of the Coral Restoration Foundation in the Florida Keys. I'm so excited here today. So without further ado, I would like to introduce you to Robert Outhouse. Welcome, Robert. Hey, thank you, Maura. And it's it's Althouse, right? Not Outhouse, but you can call me Althouse. Oh. I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm just going to call you Robert now. Uh, yeah, Robert, Robert is even better. And don't worry, you know, my, my ex-wife had my name for 15 years and she still didn't know how to say it. So don't now, worry about it. Now, that's funny because Moira, a lot of people can't say. And the uh, only person I don't like saying it not correctly is my husband. You know, mm. I said, like, you can say it properly, please. But and even there, um, Robin Williams, when he was on... Um, Oh, Peter Pan. He played right. Peter Pan. Mm-hmm. Moira is the name of his grandmother or mm-hmm. mother, one or the other. And they didn't teach Robin how to say that properly. And I come, come on, Robin Williams, teach him how to say Moira, right? You know, so, yeah. so there we go. Uh, it's an Irish name, no? It's an Irish name for mm. for Mary, and but we're Scottish. My my maiden name's McFarling. So mm, mm. Um, I married a Sutton, and I thought Sutton was English, but he was Irish. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> There you uh, go. There, there you go. And you're and you're in Canada, right? We're in Canada. We'd like All to right. be sailing in the Caribbean. That's our <laughs> our ultimate. Our outdoors uh, and by water and that. So, yeah, it's cold up here, but that's okay right now at the moment. It's all perfect. I hear you. So, Robert, let's start at the very beginning with this fairy tale stuff. How how did you you know everything fall apart when on the outside your life looked like you just had everything, but in the inside you knew that you didn't. So let's start with that fairy tale. Um, well, the, the fairy tale was, you know, my book starts uh, where I graduated from uh, Columbia Business School and I go to GE and, uh, and this executive program. And I my, my wife there actually very early on in the first couple of months uh, of being a GE in a training program. And so we have this um, this beautiful romance and eventually a beautiful wedding in Mexico on the beach. And uh, everything is going great. I mean, my career is taken off. Her career is flourishing, double income, no kids. We have a great life. Uh, everything is um, is just epic and beautiful, and then um, you know we we live that whole story. And uh, you know around 2008, the financial crisis, the the unit I was part of in G Capital, uh, you know had to uh, reorganize. Let me put it that way, because the regulators <laughs> came in, and and so I wound down the business unit that I was part of, and there was some asset left over, an orphan asset as we call it, and I bought that out, and that's how I started. Uh, that's how I went into the business for myself. Mm-hmm. And then I, um, I had a, you know, uh, the first year was actually very difficult in 09. I nearly didn't make it. And, uh, but then we just turned the corner at the end of 09. We won this very big project in Bogota, very serendipitous how to just land it in our, in our lap. 
and that was kind of the turning point. And then we had this huge run with a lot of successful projects and um, a lot of money that we uh, that we made in Latin America and, and the airport infrastructure business and private equity deals that we were doing. Uh, I had a partner in that business uh, for a little bit that I later bought out. And then in 2015, most of that <laughs> was sold. And um, I, I remember, you know, having spent almost five, six years in Latin America, uh, traveling back and forth, of course. And by now we had three kids and my wife lived in, uh, in Miami. And I had all the money that I ever thought I wanted to be happy or needed to be happy. And I had this beautiful home and an oceanfront community here in Miami, the prestigious community. I had the cars, the toys, I had the beautiful wife, the kids, the vacations, uh, you know, really no immediate uh, financial worries whatsoever. And, and yet I was just empty. I was just like, is this all there is to it? You know, I, I almost felt like disillusioned, like I did everything right. I won the game, you know, the, the, I, I, I did exactly what they told me to do. I went to a prestigious business school. I worked hard. I, you know, I made all this money and I was supposed to be happy and I wasn't. And so that was uh, that was kind of where, where the book gets into the third part where I start talking about how I get out of that. So that was the fairy tale buying in kind of like a Barbie Ken thing. You know, I, I was thinking that to be before we did this interview today that, you know, we all I had a Barbie and Ken. But, you know, yeah. I didn't know anybody that looked like her or him. <laughs> well, well, and I, and, and, yeah. And it's and a I, whole that's a whole different subject. right? It, it, uh, yes. Yes, it is. Because, because you know, we, we torture women by having these. You know, by a very early age, and we give them a Barbie doll, and nobody looks like that, right? But we make that the standard of beauty and 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 something to aspire to. And then, obviously, nowadays through media and advertising, all those things, we have all these false standards. And then we wonder why women have eating disorders and you know, adrenal fatigue, and you know they they feel terrible, they have body issues, um, you know, because there's an unattainable standard that we hold them to. I was I was uh, quite lucky. I had some other dolls that looked. Not the same as Barbie. Okay. Mind you, I had a chatty cat, caddy. I don't know if, um, uh-huh. you know, if that was something to say women talk a lot, because I don't think that's t- totally true. So yeah, all the things we buy into and what we have around us. And I think it's pretty cool if uh, you have a boy or a girl, you know, if they want to play with dolls, both of them, let them play with dolls. Like, you know, mm-hmm. let, let them sure. do whatever they want to do to experience, experience that and then see what their choices are. Mm-hmm. So literally you've got in this fast lane. <laughs> Of this never-ending pursuit of more and you really you were trying to be someone in the world that really wasn't you but that's you buying into that so let's go what what happened in your life that made that change that turning point that rude awakening that you had well like like i said it was um it, it was around 2015 when i when i um you know achieved all these things and i sold a big part of my portfolio and i so i had a lot more time on my hands because during the previous 20 years i had always been working full-time. And for me, working full-time was like, you know, I, I didn't stop on weekends or vacations or anything like that. I was always on the go and I was always on the phone. I was always, you know, active and doing, 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 right. I was, I was the ultimate hustler. I, I outworked everybody. And that was one of my uh, super talents. But, um, you know, when I, when I had more time on my hand, I was like, you know, I'm supposed to be happy. And I was looking around and I said, everybody else seems to be happy with this stuff. You know, everybody's happy when they just have the car and the toys and the, and the, you know, the, the, the happy family and um, you know, what's missing. And I just, I really struggled with it. I, I didn't know what it was. Now um, during that time, I kind of lost interest to continue doing business the way I had been. I, uh, I just, did, it did, I didn't see any purpose to it. I, I just, Felt like, you know, I was just making a bunch of investors rich uh, or richer. And I was, you know, in, in the meantime, filling my own pockets. But there wasn't really much more purpose to any of it. And and over time, you know, swimming with the sharks, I had become a shark myself. And so I, I had, um, you know, looking myself in the mirror and the things I had done, the man I had become, uh, I, I just had an internal conflict with that. You know, my, uh, my bank account was full, but my soul was bankrupt. And, hmm. um, and that was really what I was butting up against. Although at the time I didn't realize what it was. It, it was just, you know, me not feeling great and, and just like, what else is there? And, and then you were filling it with a lot of different things just to numb yourself. Yeah. For, for, for a long period. Yeah. I was numbing myself like most people do. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, in many different ways, I mean, even athletic uh, endeavors, but also alcohol, drugs, um, you know, when I was in Colombia, I, I partied a lot and I called it business entertainment, but I was just obviously uh, partying. I, 
um, you know, I was unfaithful to my wife in, uh, in, in that sense too. And, um, you know, there are many ways where I just, uh, you know, basically, um, you know, uh, violated my integrity, right? I mean, I lost my integrity in so many different ways. And, and, you know, as you start living that life, um, you know, it, it becomes um, a lie. And I, I'm a big believer that every man has a deep down desire to be just and noble and courageous and strong. But when you, when you, you know, go out of integrity, you start leaking energy. Mm-hmm. And, and like I said, like you mentioned, I mean, you, you, you find these displacement activities, which could be anything. It could be alcohol, nicotine, coffee. It could be video games, binge watching, it could be sex, porn. It could be having affairs and whatever way it shows up for you. Um, all these things tend to be, ways that we numb ourselves because there's something in our life that we uh, we don't want to face mm-hmm. well let's look at that let's let's talk about masculine the archetype of the masculine and sure. what's the nature and the origin origin of the the wounded masculine mm-hmm. yeah and i'm glad you call it the wounded masculine because there's um, a lot of people refer to it as the toxic masculine and i think one of the uh, you know, in this whole debate about the masculine and the feminine, which we obviously both each have these uh, these yes. energies, um, you know, toxic is not the right word. I mean, wounded is a much better word. Um, and, um, uh, you know, I, I'm a big believer in these archetypes. I mean, I've learned for myself that, um, you know, when I one of the things I had is I, I had a very close heart and I wasn't in touch with my, my, my feelings at all, but I had a lot of feelings. So I was repressing all this stuff inside. I was just not expressing it in any way. And then, you know, in the masculine that eventually erupts and it erupts in different ways. And usually it, 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 you know, we hurt the people closest to us, men, men uh, express their pain outwards. And so, you know, we hurt our loved ones, we learn, you know, our partner, our spouse, you know, maybe our kids, our family, our friends, whoever it is. And then we, we ultimately tend to self-destruct. And you see there's so many different examples of, of men that have done that in their life and, and ruined everything in their life that was dear to them. Women tend to uh, uh, reflect this pain inwards. That's why you see so many eating disorders and adrenal fatigue and other things. They tend to not hurt the ones around them, but really hurt themselves in many different ways, psychological as well. So this this toxic masculine or, or wounded masculine, in in my sense, uh, was came from a low self worth. I, I you know I had a stoic father that never really paid much attention to me in terms of compliments or or um, uh, awards, and I was I had a chip on my shoulder. And over time, I um, I just egged that on because I could never satisfy him. You know, I remember circumstances like, you know, when I graduated top 10% of my class at Columbia Business School, and, and he said, well, you weren't valedictorian. And, you know, that was like a typical wow. comedy. Yes. That was like a typical comedy. But, yeah, you know, I was the president of my class two, two terms, the only one in the whole school. But, you know, he, uh, you know, I had so much pain around that. And, um, and I carried that, um, you know, throughout my career. Uh, I think that's what was a big part of what was driving me. The other thing is probably your father, you know, he's doing the best he can. That's something. Of course. And, you know, and then what was his father like and his mother and, you know, just that repeat of generational history repeating itself. Mm -hmm. So let's look at this embodied feminine and how can that embodying the feminine aspect of ourself help the masculine heal the wounds that that males have? Well, the masculine is is um, um, the masculine is really in the head, right? It's it's uh, it's it's rational thought. It's it's all those things, and um, you know the 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 citadel, the feminine energy, is the heart, which is our love, our compassion, our kindness. And so, when we're disconnected as men from our heart, um, you know, we're we're disconnected from that 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 resource, and we just live in our head. We rationalize everything, and this is one of the reasons why the world lives uh, looks the way it does. We we rationalize wars and famine and uh, violence, inequalities, uh, injustices, pollution. You know the way things uh, occur in this world, the way companies um, you know exert their control over resources, and and you know there's so many different practices that we can look at, and we just rationalize it. Um, it's not based on compassion. It's not based on one world. It's not based on, um, you know, what's in the best interest of the bee, the whole beehive. And so we have to access our heart. We have to access that, that where that love and compassion is to access that part of our wisdom, because there's wisdom there too. Oh, for sure. So how, how did you, you know, begin to, 
you know, look at your shadows, slay those dragons and literally allow this feminine aspect of yourself to evolve and, you know, come into your life the way uh, you're being. Yeah, what, what really opened it up for me, I, I went through a divorce in late 2017, uh, and that wasn't a, a very good period in my life. I had also had a business that was wiped out by a hurricane, and so I was uh, now I was in financial um, uh, deep waters. And so as I was navigating all that, I, I, I decided I needed to go to therapy because I was really heartbroken about my divorce, even though I was the one that, uh, that, that had precipitated that. And, um, and as I was going through therapy, she told me to journal and to uh, document things and, you know, express your expressions. And, you know, once that, uh, that genie came out of the bottle and I started expressing, you know, I had so many feelings that were, that were just bottled up. And, um, some of it was anger, some of it was sadness, some of it was just pain from, you know, old wounds and, and um, you know, how I felt about myself and, and what was driving me. And so, uh, and then, you know, obviously processing a divorce, which, uh, you know, we had three kids and all that stuff. And it was, it was done in a conscious way and it was beautiful. We're still very good friends, but, you know, it's still nobody gets married to get divorced. So for me, that was really the turning point where I realized, like, I've, you know, I've repressed my feelings my whole life. I've never really talked about what I really feel. I always, I have these notions that a man is always tough. He never cries. He's, he doesn't have any fear and never wanted to bother my wife or any other relationship I had with, you know, some of the stuff that was really, um, you know, within me. So I just wouldn't express it. I would just be stoic about it. Well, we talk about also, you know, I talk about it, but you're also about forgiveness. Did you start with the forgiveness, forgiving yourself, you know, for this this yeah, part of your healing journey? I learned about that practice, uh, you know, during these these last five years or so. I, I've hmm. gone to many retreats. I've read a lot of books, I, you know, a lot of different things. And, um, you know, I, I wasn't, um, you know, when the forgiveness, um, um you know, the purpose of it was really explained to me in a much deeper way that that is not so much to release the perpetrator, but to release you from mm -hmm. whatever you're carrying from that experience. Um, that put forgiveness in a totally different light. I just never looked at it that way. I never really thought about, you know, forgiving something so you can actually unload that from your backpack. You don't have to carry that story into your life. It's not even so much about the, the one that you forgive. It's really all about self-love and and uh, and letting go of these stories that weigh us down, that, that hurt us, the pain that we carry with us throughout our life when we don't process it. And so, yeah, forgiveness was a very big thing uh, when I found it because I, I just hadn't been familiar with it whatsoever, not in that context. I think too, you know, the, the power of story and how story affects our life. So you go into, okay, forgiveness um, for, again, to let go of, because you're carrying that energetic field if you're holding on to that or sure. focused on that. And you know that and then with the universe and that, that, you know, that whole, I, I think you talk about the matrix and, you know, how you were starting to see through that veil and, you know, who right. you're being each day and all that. Explain some of that, because I know that some people on, on this community, um, Forgiveness would be one aspect for them to learn about, but also right. the word failure, like, you know, that's a heavy word. And a lot of people put a lot right. of blame on themselves for that, not get into forgiveness right. where failure right. can be, you know, I talk about what, what is the gift in this, which is my next book. <laughs> right. right. It's really, right. I truly believe there's a gift in every moment. So failure, if we look at a, you know, what can I learn from this and that, is that how you looked at the word failure to really embrace more? I yeah, not during my career, but but obviously I, I learned because um, you know the last few years I, I've had a lot of failures, and then how you how do you process that? Yes. So yeah, I mean you're absolutely right. I mean failure, if it's uh, an, an an event that you learn from, right, just becomes wisdom, and and you know, yes. wis and wisdom is knowledge without an emotional load. So. Yeah, you know, that's re that's really where we want to go in these things because as long as we attach a story to failure, it has an emotional load. And <laughs> what I mean, what I mean by an emotional load is we have some judgment attached to it, right? It's a bad situation. It's a good situation. It's <laughs> it's like it doesn't feel good. It does, and you know, failure in and by itself, anything that happens in our life by itself is neutral. Only the story that we attach to it, the the explanation we give it, the um, uh, description we give it in our mind, that's what gives it an emotional load. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when we pile up all these experiences of our life 
and we pile up all these emotional loads, especially when they're negative emotional loads. I mean, these are things like stress, anxiety, overwhelm, you know, impatience, jealousy, worry. I mean, all these negative, if we carry those with us, it's just a heavy backpack, you know, that we're just slipping through life. So failure, yeah, we can beat ourselves up terribly. Um, but what is failure anyway? I mean, uh, we're, we're here, we, we're, we're born, you know, as soon as we're breathing, we're enough, right? I mean, yes. we, 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 anything else is just a mind-made construct. I mean, what we call success in our world, um, you know, what is success? Success is being alive and being happy, right? Uh, it's not necessarily in, in what you do in your life. I mean, every person is meaningful and, and uh, is here for some purpose. And some of us are, well, you know, wildly successful in the worldly way, and other people are wildly successful in other ways. But it doesn't, um, you know, we attach so much value to it because that's the story, the construct of our of our society, and the, the way we think about things, and the way we deem successful versus not successful. But you know, those things you could are are also man made, just like fashion. You can look at um, fashion in the '80s, and if you look at an '80s magazine right now, you're you're like almost bewildered, like what were these people thinking? <laughs> but at that time, that was fashionable, right? Yes, yes. And and now it's something different, and it changes every five or ten years, or they they change it all the time because that's good for business. I- um, I know that you state in your book that the world's changing, the economy is changing, and you know, mm-hmm. how we live and work is changing, our priorities and outlook, you know, everything's evolving and changing. Right. And, right. you know, for the most part, we don't really know the end destination. And right now, you know, a lot of people are in this uncertainty in this pandemic. This is new, and this is an opportunity to change. What would you say to the listeners about that? Like, about, you know, how this expanding, this collective consciousness, I'd just like to get your take on that. Yeah, no, uh, first of all, change is always happening, whether we believe so or not. I mean, if we think we're in control of our life, um, you know, that's a fallacy to, to thinking. So change is the, is the only permanent. And of course, there's a lot of very obvious change in the outside world right now. And, and COVID is changing a lot of dynamics. And there's a lot of people that unfortunately have lost jobs. And some of those jobs will probably not return because the economy is changing, the business is changing, retail environment, travel industry. I mean, all those things are changing. But um, there's always jobs, there's always opportunity because within this um, you know, pandemic that we've experienced, there's also companies and businesses that are thriving. There's also people that are doing just fine or even doing better business right now. So the question really is, is, is you know, what do I want to bring into this world? And, and, you know, spot your opportunities. You look internally, like, what am I passionate about? What am I interested in? Uh, I do think that we're in a more remote world. So we're going to have a lot more gig workers all around the world, but the world has also become smaller in a way because now you go on Fiverr, for instance, you have all these creative freelancers and they have a glo- it's a global marketplace. I mean, a, a, a guy with a laptop in Pakistan can have clients uh, all over the world. I mean, that mm-hmm. wasn't possible 10 years ago. So, you know, if you figure out that, you know, you love uh, working in Adobe Illustrator and you're really good at it and talented, well, you have a global marketplace. You know, your your market has never been bigger. So I think we can also look at all these things and 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 put them into context. Like, how can this serve me? How can this create more freedom and more financial freedom, more uh, freedom to move or have vacations or determine my own time? So maybe it's not the old construct of a nine to five job and we get a, a guaranteed paycheck. But, you know, what's guaranteed anyway? 10 million people are jobless right now and they've probably thought they had guaranteed jobs right Mm -hmm. so you know uh, that kind of change is just going to be a concept well let's jump into this concept of your book title and you know what's the concept behind this never enough itis and also i want to then jive into how does how do people thrive in this new world that that we're experiencing right now i think it's it's differently experienced by different people um I, I think if you're in fear of the virus and what's happening and the change and you're just longing for this old world to come back, mm. uh, I think it's um, it's a it's a tough place to be right now because it's it's hard to see how that world is going to come back to normal, whatever normal is. And I don't really believe it will ever get back to normal. This is like, remember when you used to travel and you used to go to the airport and you could go all the way to the terminal and just walk straight onto the plane and you're you know, your, your, your parents could drop you off at the gate. Mm-hmm. And then we suddenly, you know, we, we had obviously security concerns and, and now you have to go for all these security checks and, you know, take your shoes off and all that stuff. Well, 
listen, that old way of traveling is never going to come back. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's gone, right? It's a relic from the past, but it doesn't mean you can't travel. I mean, you can, you can still travel, you know, it's just, it has changed. And um, I think it's similarly in the economy. Uh, some of the things that we've known and, and, and uh, gotten accustomed to are probably going to evolve. They're going to change a little bit, but there's still going to be um, the need for all kinds of, um, I mean, there's still going to be economic activity. There's still going to be tons of opportunity. There's always, there always things that can be done, always new products that can be emerged because when people's patterns change, um, it means that, you know, now they're shopping in a different way. They're living in a different way. So they, they, they have different needs. Personally, I, I, um, I, like we both have talked about this or we've, I've seen it in your book and you know, that everything is in perfect alignment. Everything's unfolding for us, for the universe, not to us in that we can't go right. back. And personally, I don't want to go back. And I believe in a world of unity consciousness and raising that vibration and right. inclusivity and experiencing your mm -hmm. unique being, you know, that's where I see us going. And so that, that excites me. And, you know, so let's, let's go into the area of being a truth seeker. How do you define that? And you're a truth seeker. You define yourself that way. You know, how do people find their truth and how do they become this truth seeker? Uh, yeah, so, so yeah, that's a that's a it's a big question. But yes. <laughs> so so I um you know I I think anybody anybody's truth is in their heart. Like we're all our own guru, our own teacher, our own uh, we have, have all the knowledge that we need. Everything that we would ever need access to is within us. And, um, and and that comes really from my belief that, you know, we're, we're just an individual expression of uh, in, infinite intelligence or God, if you want to call it that way. So which really just means we're just an extension of God. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when we find that uh, that part of us and we reconnect with that part of it, we're basically uh, tying into, you know, the universal mind, so to speak. And so all the answers are within us. Our soul is totally at peace. It's just on a journey. And it's finding its way through this human experience, which we seek so we can have these kind of experience and contrast. And obviously, like you say, I mean, everything is one, but we don't necessarily experience it that way until we realize that. And so most people experience the world as me, as my body, and then the rest of the world, and I am my thoughts. I mean, that's how people kind of experience themselves, but you're not your thoughts, you're not your body, uh, you're the consciousness or the awareness that it's basically, you know, um, um, animating those fawns and animating that body. And that's how we go into the world. So truth seeking is really about feeling as much of the onion back as you can, I think, and really look at things like not on a superficial way, not just uh, taking the, um, uh, you know, what, 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 what any popular media might, might feed us, but really look into things. Like what is really the structure of things? What is the structure of my thought patterns? Yeah. Where is the where are these patterns coming from, and um, how can I change them? And I think there's there's obviously so many more areas where you can do this. This is the same in health. You know, where does health come from? What what is what does it mean when my my body is in homeostasis versus dissonance? Right, because it's mm -hmm. an energy it's an energy system. So. You know, if it's ill, it's in dissonance. So why is it not in coherence? And you know, mm -hmm. you can ask yourself questions like, and then when you when you ask yourself questions and you educate yourself, you can you can ask like, okay, well, well, modern Western medicine in terms of trauma medicine is the best in the world. If I break my leg or um, you know I need some kind of mechanical operation, I mean, I wouldn't want anything else but Western medicine. When we're talking about chronic illnesses. Western medicine is just treating effects, but you know, mm -hmm. here we have a huge complex system called the body, which is highly intelligent. It's incredibly fine-tuned, well beyond our wildest imaginations how all this stuff works. And you know, we have a very rudimentary understanding of it. Uh, but we're treating symptoms, we're not treating causes. And if we treat one symptom and we put some kind of chemical in the body, it affects the entire complex. And we really have no idea. And then sometimes, you know, I go to um, pick up something at a in a pharmacy store or something, and I see people refilling the medicine, and I see them like taking six, seven, eight medicines and different from different doctors, which you know one doctor doesn't know what the other doctor prescribed. And you know, we put all that stuff in our body, and it's but and then and, and, you know, we're really surprised when we're not healthy, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and then you know, we have the vaccinations right now, and you know, so um, just the other day, I um, I had to do uh, a COVID test. 
and I drive through there and, and you know, right right out in front of me, pulls someone out of McDonald's, you know, with a big old uh, supersized Coke in his hand and a hamburger. And, you know, he's going through the same COVID line. And I'm like, you know, this is where we have come to, right? I mean, we think we can put all the junk food in us. We can think we can mistreat our body in so many different ways. And then a vaccine shot is going to save us. And it's like, is that true? You know, is that that makes sense. Um, so what, when I talk about truth seeking is like, you know, really look into things because all the answers are within. Now, of course, we can get medicine from other people in, in, in terms of knowledge and we can have people help us, masters, gurus, healers, doctors, it doesn't matter, coaches. You know, we can have people reach us medicine, but we're always going to be um, our own guru, our own healer. I don't believe in anybody being a, on a permanent, permanent crutch with anybody. Uh, I think all the answers are within. Yeah, I agree. And the other thing about, you know, a lot of people are walking around and, you know, they're not consciously creating their life. They're just going through the motions sure. with no emotion and they're, they're they're not even aware of it. And they're at the right. their perfect place in their life. And, you know, right. I had to learn that through, you know, being a coach and mentor and a teacher and all the rest of the years, like with close friends or something, you know, unless somebody asks for help, you know, I don't step into that. <laughs> if they ask for the help, then I'll give it to them or if they want me to share something or just listen to right. someone. Right. Now, you work with companies and people for them to help to, them to discover their big why. Now, the big why for me is important is your vision and your life and all the areas you talked about. How do you help somebody discover their big why? Because again, a lot of people are searching. They don't know where to, how to do that. And, you know, they just get stuck. Right. Yeah, sure. Um, so I, I believe your big why is I call it spiritual vision when I work with people, because I, I think, you know, we, we're each born here in um, with certain gifts, with certain talents, with certain superpowers. We have uh, proclivities. We have things that we particularly like that we're really good at that come natural to us. And a lot of these things we can usually trace down to our early childhood. When we were playing, the way we were playing, the types of toys we liked, the type of games that we liked, uh, how we expressed ourselves in life before, you know, all the programming came in place, right? What you were supposed to be and what you're supposed to be good at. And, and you know, uh, someone that went out and, and nothing against being a lawyer, but, you know, someone that became a lawyer because, you know, their parents thought that was a, a really wise career choice yes. not because they were so passionate about being a lawyer. And, of course, there's also people that really want to practice law, and it's beautiful. And those people are always going to be better naturally um, than anybody that's doing it just to make a paycheck. And uh, and we did. And, and by the way, the law profession here in the U.S. I think is the is, is the the one profession with the highest suicide rates, which is wow. very, very very interesting. And it's a it's a it's actually quite dramatic in the U.S. What's happening with suicide rates? in general. So that's an indication, right, that people are in really desperate places and they're unhappy and they feel stuck in their life. So when you find your why or when you start on that journey, you really uh, have to crystallize, you know, what's my spiritual vision? And your spiritual vision is really your North Star. Like, what do I want to bring into this life? What, what makes me happy? You know, what would be, you know, Mark Twain has this beautiful quote, if you uh, do what you love, you never uh, work a day in your life. Yes. And I think that is um, there's so much profound wisdom in that. And so many of us don't choose careers or uh, expressions or vocations because we're passionate about it. But we do it because we think it's going to be a steady paycheck or our, our parents thought it was good or society thought that was a good career or we thought that was safe or whatever. And I think many of us are therefore missing out on what's really driving us, which, what we're really passionate about. And um once you find that, you know, you don't have to find motivation because you're inspired. You know, it's a big difference. Motivation is a very weak muscle that tires easily. And um, inspiration is this um, kind of bottomless well because you're just inspired. It's just something you want to do. Even, you know, practically, if you didn't get paid for it, you'd still be doing it. That's mm -hmm. always a good question to ask. Like, what would I be doing if I was if I didn't need the money? Because we get so blinded by just following the money and paying our bills. But we also create lifestyles that uh, with a bunch of debt on top. So we have to do this, right? And and you ask many people like, well, you know, 
have you ever considered downsizing? Have you ever considered, you know, chiseling away your debt so you can make, um, you know, you have more freedom to make these decisions and things like that. And, you know, these are, of course, all the choices we make in our life. But I think it starts with finding the spiritual vision. And it's always aligned with your talents, your gifts, your natural interests. What magazines or what TV programs do you watch um, just out of interest? Where do you go on YouTube? What would you just be interested about learning about just because it's your interest? Mm-hmm. Um, I always think it's in that area. It's always in that direction because these things are pointing you where your natural talents and superpowers are. Mm-hmm. I also think, um, well, when you become more conscious or if you start paying attention to your intuition and those little nudges, however they come to you, like I'm very connected to nature and animal totems and my dreams and stuff and and just listening and, and becoming quiet, meditating every day and just really going within and, you know, replenishing that well you know if i feel like i'm off course or if what? you know being at home during this time if i get snippy with my mom who's 93 or something for some mm. reason i'm like Moira, right. you need time out you need to go walk right. in nature or something because that's not that's not who you are like that's just you know, not the person talk about the emotional guidance system so do you feel like people again with that what i just said with intuition if they go off course they shift back into alignment and you know, talk about that. Like, how how does that yeah. show up with your so, experience? Yeah. So, so first of all, everybody has an emotional guidance system, and mm-hmm. it's just your body. Your body is talking to you all the time. When you mm-hmm. have a pit in your stomach, when you have a, a feeling in some way, you have a tinkling. It could be uh, goosebumps. It could be anything. And, and and sometimes it's environmental, of course. I mean, if you're just having a chill, but. You know, we are energetic beings and we respond to this energy and even words and thoughts have contain energy. And so when we ask ourselves, I mean, when we, for instance, um, um, you know, when we go buy a car or, or buy a house, you know, when we walk through this house, you know, instead of just looking at the, at the physical features and you can, of course, inspect that and make sure the bathrooms are the color you like them or whatever. But you can ask yourself, you know, how do I feel in this house? You know, mm-hmm. what is what is my stomach telling me? What is, you know, what is my gut? This expression, you know, I know it in my gut mm-hmm. is it's flawless. You know, we have so much wisdom in our body and we have the same thing when something happens, when there's a interaction with a certain person or sometimes, you know, just a person enters a room and, you know, that person just gives us, gives us the willies. Um, you know, that's telling you something that's, that's telling you like, you know, don't engage with that person. It's, it's, you know, there's something energetically just not jiving conversely, there's also people we meet and we're best friends in, in, in like, you know, 15 seconds. Right. I mean, yes. just energetically feel connected to them, their smile, their words, their voice, their feeling what's well, an energetic thing. So we can follow these, um, you know, what I call emotional guidance system. And it's, and it's absolutely flawless. Whenever we are in fear, you know, it's, it's, um, uh, whatever in fear or doubt or anxiety, impatience, you know, worry, you know, any of those negative emotions, we're actually in the parasympathetic part of our nervous system, which means that's the fight and fl- flight uh, side of our nervous system. So all our critical uh, organs shut down. Everything is pre- being prepared for an attack by like a sable-toothed tiger yes. in our body. And it's actually during that time that our body kind of shuts off everything that's not essential, which means that our, our, our digestion process is not really flowing, you know, none of that stuff. But we're also kind of cut off because we're flushed, we're flooded with adrenaline, and we're just really like focused, narrowly focused on this environment right here. <clears throat> what we want to try to do is through breathing, for instance, is we can ask ourselves, what is why why is this feeling? There's got to be something off. It's always in your thought patterns because there's always something there. And when we do that, we can shift back to the parasympathetic uh, nervous uh, system, which is rest and relax. And that's where we actually have access to uh, in, in infinite intelligence. That's where we get it, these intuitive bombs that come through, these ideas that come through, the serendipities that show up in our life that we have eyes for. All those things happen when we're in a state, uh, I call it the Zen state, that you know we're receptive to it. Now, when we're in a fear state or a suffering state, we're not receptive to any of this. We're just looking out for the immediate danger. And so we lose like all this perspective on life, all this wisdom that can come in, that can flow through us, that can guide us. And um, 
and that's that's a big part of um, of this. Of course, I'm summarizing, you know, something that's a big topic, uh, you know, that that you can teach on for days. But <laughs> um, that's that's really at the essence of the emotional guidance system. It tells you exactly what's going on. You you can make decisions based on that very accurately because it it comes from a much higher intelligence than just your mental mind. I also think uh, when you make decisions, I, I always talk about not leaving the how to the universe because we don't know how things are going to unfold. Like we're looking at moving, selling our house probably this year. We have we have an idea very much what we, not just an idea, we're very clear of what we want in the new home. Do we know how it's going to show up or where? No, I don't have to worry about that. I just put out very, you know, the feeling of what I want to feel in this new home and the experiences and, you know, leave that. And the, but the decisions when you talked about that, when you make one decision, I think of it like a stepping stair. If you go up one stair, like walk up, now you see a whole new horizon. Then you take action. Then you take another step. And so it just unfolds in this beautiful, you know, way with the universe. And that's exciting. <laughs> you don't you don't have to figure that part out. I want to talk a little bit about the state of Zen because you know a lot about Zen. And, you know, I was reading, I don't know if you know Robin Sharma's work. Uh, we yep, have sure. Yeah. Um, you know, he talks about Zen being speaks of a beginner's mind and to keep your mind open to new concepts and ideas. Tell us how you would say to get into this state of total peace and and also feel totally alive. Right. Um, yeah. And I and I definitely agree. I mean, there's many descriptions. No, Zen, Zen, the word itself, itself come from Japanese. Right. It's not mm -hmm. really related to Buddhism. Um, it's a Japanese word, which means no mind. And, um, you know, when we're in our Zen state, we're in a high frequency state. So we have emotions like hope and gratitude and joy, compassion, peace, calm, you know, all the things that we want to feel that's around a Zen state. And when we're in Zen, in the Zen state, which uh, is, you know, just something I coined, I mean, other people call it a powerful state or whatever they might, might call it. I call it Zen. You know, we're in a state of flow. You know, life is now flowing through us. Intelligence is flowing through us. We don't have all these um, blockages. We, um, you know, we're listening to, you know, the, the soft whispers and the intuitive wisdom that's coming through us. We're listening to our emotional guidance system. We are alert for, uh, these serendipities in life that show up, these little, uh, you know, a book recommendation that we get somehow, or or some friend tells us something and we find some piece of information we've been looking for for a while. You know, this is all the universe in, in, in full action, but most of the time we're too blind for it. We don't see it. The universe is doing this all the time. It's, literally, it's leaving us breadcrumbs all the time, but we have to be alert to it and we have to be in this calm state of mind to have eyes for it, to listen for it, and not so much noise in our head, uh, which is really all the monkey chat, which which crowds out this stuff and that that puts static on the line, so to speak. So uh, when I think about Zen, I think about being in this parasympathetic side of us, this rest and relax, um, to really you know allow things to flow through us to see all the different uh, nuances that life brings us, all the little information pieces. And like you said, I mean, we're not responsible for the how. We're responsible for picking what we want in life and what we want to create in life. And then, you know, we do make our, our steps um, towards it. But the corresponding nature of life means that the universe corresponds to what we do. So when we set a goal, which is thought, which is energy, and we energize that with an emotional load because now we're starting to feel already, you know, that that energy of having whatever we, we want to have. And now we start making movements. We start making actions in that direction. Then the universe is just going to correspond. Mm -hmm. And the more energy we can put behind it, the more energy we put into the universe to respond back to us. So if we make very small little baby steps and very small little attempts, then, you know, we're going to get something back of a similar resonance. But if we make very bold and strong moves, um, then, you know, we're going to see that that comes back uh, much more forceful from the universe because, you know, energy can't be destroyed, but it can be amplified. Mm -hmm. And we amplify it with our emotional charge behind it and our desire behind it. Mm -hmm. Definitely our desires. I believe our desires are put on our heart because they're put there for us to go out and live them, yeah. whatever that is. And uh, now one of your five whispering truths of Zen, which I know people will talk about later, they can go to your site, which they'll have, and they can sign up for your community and right. find out a lot more with Zen because I found it very beautiful. You talk about discomfort is 
Beautiful. Tell me more about that. Yeah. So, so anytime we grow, I mean, the mind is, is so obsessed with being in control and, and no change because no change is comfortable for the mind because it, 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 it can only base the mind only has the only library it has available is its experiences in its life. Mm-hmm. So, you know, all the experiences that you've had in your life, that's the library that your mind draws from. So then by definition, a new experience that you haven't had previously is scary because it's new. It's something that's different. It's something that, you know, we haven't been there yet. So the mind is always going to resist that. It's just, it's natural mechanism. It's, it's never going to like doing something that it's, um, that, that, that is new because it doesn't know it. Now, once it knows it, it will become familiar with it. And then you, you know, start doing it. And you know, a good example is learning how to ride a bike. You know, when you first sit on that bike, you know, you're scared, you're fearful, you don't really want to do, you're probably screaming at your parent, like, I don't want to do this, <laughs> you know, and then eventually, you know, you learn how to balance, uh, and then eventually you learn how to bike, and then you jump on a bike, and it, it's become like a new experience, so now it's no longer a threat of any sorts. Now, life is the same way, but, you know, if, we're, if, we, if we just do everything in our power to avoid discomfort, then we do everything in our power not to grow. Because mm-hmm. our growth is always where the change is. Because everything you've already known, everything that you've already experienced, is within what you already are. So any new experience that you want, any you know bigger job or bigger um, money or a new relationship you want or anything like that, is always been in an area of growth, which is new territory, and we just have to be open to that. Uh, so so changing our relationship with discomfort and seeing it as a pathway to growth changes our dialogue internally. And we tell our mind to stand down and we say, no, we want this discomfort because we know within this discomfort is what we're actually seeking, the experience that we're seeking. Our dream, you know, what we want is right behind this fear. Right behind this fear is the magic that I'm actually wanting. I just need to get past this fear. And fear obviously is illusionary. It's just Mm -hmm. a mental concept. But, um, you know, we so so when I talk about getting comfortable with discomfort, is, is just changing our relationship. And so when we're in discomfort, don't immediately uh, retreat, just lean into it and mm-hmm. say, no, no, I want discomfort. That's exactly what I want. I mean, because I know that there's growth there. That means I'm growing. That means I'm evolving. That means I'm, I'm getting a greater understanding. This is helping me. This is not like against me. I'm on my path. I'm not off my path. I think that's great. It's like it's a reframe because I was thinking as you were talking at the beginning, it's funny. I went back to a memory when my husband and soulmate Cliff and myself, one of our first dates is we went skydiving. I said, you want to go skydiving? And and he was like, what? <laughs> and so we went and I jumped out a few times because I really liked it. Now, there was more like um, uncertainty, not really fearful, but mm, not sure, but also really excited. And so you know, I think fear, the acronym that I share is there's false evidence appearing real and then feeling excited and ready when you're not in a danger area, like, you know, like you're just, you're, there's a fear there, but you're excited to go for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I love that. And everything you have on there, the, the different truths of Zen would be great for people to read because you just shared a real wisdom, you know, gem there. And I'm going to ask you, you know, we started this conversation, our heartfelt conversation today, Robert, you know, with the beginning of the fairy tale. And I'd like to right. end it with a happily ever after ending story for you. Um, just where you're at and kind of your, your, your big, you know, your word for this year coming up, you know, tw- 2021. And also the biggest takeaway that you would like to share this, you know, this other little wisdom gem with our listeners today. All right. Um, well, that's a couple of questions. Well, <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> uh, there's, there's, there's many uh, in terms of the fairy tale that I described with my, um, uh, no ex-wife. I mean, it, it is a fairy tale in ways that we had a beautiful marriage. We have three amazing kids. Uh, we're super friendly. We're uh, very fluid in our arrangement. And uh, we even still do all the holidays together. We do all the, the vacations together. And, you know, when we got divorced, I told her um, I wasn't I wasn't the best husband uh, in the world, but I, I commit to be the world-class ex-husband. And yes. so, you know, within everything, there's an opportunity 
And so that's my commitment towards her. And we've been able to build up a beautiful relationship. She's moved on and is very happy with, um, you know, her, uh, her partner in her life and, and uh, the kids are thriving. So, you know, I think that's a happy ending. Yes. Uh, it's obviously not the, um, the Hallmark card uh, version of happy ending, but you know, uh, the reality of life is that sometimes, um, you know, things are better, you know, paths diverge and, and, you know, you just need to do it in the best way you can. Uh, I'm in a, I'm in a, in a good place. I just released this book that I'm really excited about. I'm launching this new business that I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm humbled by because I think there's a, what I noticed once I started going on this path, there's a lot of people that, that have similar experiences or they're stuck. And I think there's a lot of work that can be done with leaders, uh, you know, corporate leaders and, and, and high impact entrepreneurs that I can work with and optimize, um, you know, their performance and maybe not so much financially, but just, you know, make them happy in what they do and give them more purpose and, and show them how they can elevate their life on multiple levels, even their domestic lives and how much that will benefit in the expression they bring into this world and how much good they can do for the businesses that they run and how big of an impact they can have on this world. So mm-hmm. I'm excited about that work. And, uh, you know, my, uh, my, my, ma- my word for this year is, uh, is, is magic. Um, oh, nice. I think last year was, uh, was, was, I think for everybody kind of a shock. I didn't necessarily, I don't remember what my name, what my word was for last year, but, uh, I feel like going into 2021, um, you know, we, we all create our own magic and that's, that's mm-hmm. kind of our, our, our responsibility at the end of the day. And, uh, and so, you know, that's kind of what I want to create. I want to create a bunch of magic this year. Um, and whatever that means for me, of course, and that's different for everybody, but. That's, that's wonderful. Robert, you know, please share with our listeners, this special gift you like to gift with them today. And I want everybody to know that all the links to the gift and where you can find Robert and more about Zen. Right. Well, know, thank you. Thank you. And, and, you know, your listeners should really thank you because you uh, obviously, um, uh, you know, inquired if that was possible. And I, I love how you uh, want to give value to your, to your customers so, or your listeners. Um, so, yeah, what we've done is uh, we've taken the first chapter of if there's three parts of the book and we've taken a first chapter of each book. So people can get a little, um, you know, read and familiarize themselves and see if the book might be of any interest or any, any help. The parts are quite different, so that's why we picked kind of a first chapter from each part. It gives you a little bit of a flavor of um, you know what the what the book covers and the writing style that I have. And if people are interested in that, then the book is available on Amazon. Obviously, I would love for you to uh, buy a copy if you uh, if you're so inclined. I have a website that's uh, www.neveranoughitis.com. And uh, there's more information on the book there. There's uh, your podcast link will be there. There'll be uh, other podcasts or news media things that I've done. And uh, you can sign up there as well. And that's where you get the five truths of the uh, Zen Mastery Primer. And so that's about 50 pages of, uh, I think it's pretty chock full of value. It's, it's, uh, I, I wrote it myself. It's some of the things that didn't make itself into the course that I'm developing, but they're true wisdoms that I felt like needed to be shared. And so I uh, put them in this primer and they're available for free. If you sign up on, uh, on that website, uh, you can follow me on Instagram at the Zen whisperer. Uh, and similarly, I have a page on Facebook at the Zen. Whisperer. So yeah. I think those are uh, the best places to, uh, to find me right now. Yeah. We'll put those below. So Robert, thank you for sharing from your heart and soul today, your wisdom on never enough itis and how to thrive in the new world. Namaste. Uh, Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Heart Soul Wisdom Podcast with Moira Sutton. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please join our community at moirasutton.com and continue the discussion on our Facebook page, Create the Life You Love. You will be part of a global movement connecting with other heart-centered people who are consciously creating the life they love on their own terms. Together, we can raise our consciousness for the greater good of humanity and for our planet.